Mike's not on. By now. Good. All right. Good morning, everyone. I am happy to be with you all this morning, to be able to engage and jump into God's words together. We will be in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you don't mind, will you stand with me as we read God's word together? I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Pastor Wilder, thank you for inviting me to share this morning. Um, Mrs. Wilder, thank you for all your service. And to you all, thank you for your faithful gospel witness in this city and in this community. Let's read God's word together. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slandering, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. You all, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, Lord, with open hearts and open minds and open arms, Lord, ready to receive from you, Lord, ready to learn how we can heed your word, Lord, even more to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and our strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, Father God. So as we in a little time in your word, would you speak to us? Would you would you encourage us? Would you challenge us, Lord? Would you draw us near, Father God, so that we may be a people shaped and formed and conformed into your image, transformed into your likeness, Father God? We ask that you would encounter us, Father God. God, I pray, Lord, that we would hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated. Thank you. Marion Wright Edelman, the founder of the Children's Defense Fund, has this to say about the current state of where we are as a community. She says, in many ways, the labyrinth of my life is leading back to where I began and to many of the lessons learned, but too easily lost in the cacophony of noise and clutter and triviality and dispersonalization afflicting so much of modern American life and culture. With others, I seek to reweave the frayed remnants of family, community, and spiritual values rent asunder in the name of progress. That much racial, social, and scientific progress has taken place over my lifetime is evident, she says. Millions of black children and poor children of all races have moved into the American mainstream and are better off materially. But something important has been lost as we have thrown away or traded so much of our black spiritual heritage for a false sense of economic security and inclusion. We are at risk of letting our children drown in the bathwater of American materialism, greed, and violence. We must regain our moral bearings and roots and help America recover hers before millions more children, black, brown, and white, poor, middle class, and rich, 
self-destruct or grow up thinking life is about acquiring rather than sharing, selfishness rather than sacrifice, and material rather than spiritual wealth. I think she has something important to say that helps us understand where we are when we engage this text of Titus 2. She says, but something important has been lost. As we have thrown away or traded so much of our black spiritual heritage for a false sense of economic security and inclusion, I want to ask you a question. What is the state of our spiritual bank accounts in our lives, our families, our churches, and our communities? I dare say that our current culture of selfishness and self-centeredness that Ms. Edelman points to is due to our spiritual malnutrition as a church. That we've lost that focus on not just building institutions, but building people. Building older men and older women and young men and young women that have gospel-shaped lives equipped by God's grace to do God's work. So I want to talk to you all today about the church as a community in three ways. I want to talk about the need for mature spiritual fathers and mothers, the need for devoted spiritual sons and daughters, and the need for an engaged church as a family equipping center. Paul says to Titus, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. It is a biblical mark of a gospel minister to teach and preach things that are consistent with sound and healthy teaching. There are certain things that will corrupt a body and the body and make it sick. And God has commanded those who have the privilege of preaching and teaching his word through the proclamation of it to root out those things. In Titus 1, 10 through 11, Paul speaks to this very thing. He says, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. So in Crete, there were people who had encountered God, who knew him, and in their lives and in their families were seeking to live faithfully for him. But there were people that started to come that were proclaiming a gospel that was false and not a gospel at all. And they began to destroy households where grace once resided. And so in order to solve this systemic issue that was affecting the church, Paul had to give Titus some instruction that you have to refute those people who are doing the evil, the, the teaching that are leading people astray from God. But you also need to ensure that in your church, you are building up the people so that their families will remain, so that their faith will remain, so that their lives will endure. Because a gospel church is marked by mature fathers and mothers. And we are given a picture of what maturity looks like in the lives of older men and older women. These men and women ought to bear the fruit of a history with God. Their lives ought to look like they've gotten to know God in a very close and intimate way. And so he says older men ought to be self-controlled and worthy of respect and sensible, which means they should not be foolish and sound in faith, love and endurance. So in in First Timothy, chapter five, Paul tells Timothy that he ought to encourage older men as fathers Uh, older women as mothers 
And so I'm going to talk to my mothers and fathers at first as a son. These things that are laid out for us means that our churches should be filled with men who are not mastered by their passions and desires. But they are rooted in the spirit. They behave in a way that is dignified and honorable. Fathers, your lives should be filled with purity and the church should have men that are present. Let me share this, man. It is very difficult if you are not present for us to see you in the role that God has given you. So he says that older men, you ought to live in a way that is worthy of respect. And so in order to be seen as worthy of respect, you first have to be present. We'll come back to that in a moment. The scripture tells us that godly older men must make their presence felt in the family, in the church, and the community. These godly men were to be spiritual example for the rest of the church and the community to follow. These godly men were to be spiritual examples. That means that, fa- that these fathers, that you all as fathers, your lives should look like the scriptures lived out. Full of wisdom, full of faith, full of love, full of courage, full of the spirit. Mothers, in the same way, your lives should be marked by reverent behavior, the scripture says. That speaks of living honorable as well. In a way that is dignified, serious, and having a heart filled with the joy of knowing Jesus. Older women have so much to teach us about what it means to be faithful to Jesus in different seasons and situations of life. We are also told that mothers, you are not to be slanderers. Now this is vital because your tongue is to bring about healing and it must be skilled in applying God's word and his truth. Let me say something real quick about what it means to be a slanderer. So that same word for slander is the same word for devils in Scripture, right? Because Satan is the father of lies, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. And so when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is a lie. So the reason why mothers in this in this in this in this situation in the Scripture, and I'm talking about spiritual mothers, are are called not to slander. Is because when there's something about a mother's tongue when she aligns herself with a lie instead of the truth that has a lasting effect on her children. So 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 in our in our home, in our in our churches, in our family as believers, it is important that we have mothers who are skilled in applying the truth of God's word to, to, to her children. Now Mothers are also told not to be slaves to excessive drinking. That means just as older men are to be sensible, older women are to be sober. That speaks to the content and state of our hearts. Because if our hearts are distracted or numbed, we'll miss the tender moments of the next verse. Where Titus is told to teach. The older women to teach the younger women. So not only are the lives of the older saints meant to be a model 
for the church and the community to follow. But they're also supposed to help mold the generations after them. Teaching is helping someone big mold into an image. But in order for that to happen, this scripture is presupposing relationship. Because we can't teach anyone anything that we don't have relationship with them. Now, there's different styles of this, right? There should be modeling. People should be able to look at the people, the older folks of the church, and say, man, that is an example of how to be a faithful person in society. Whether or not they agree, because, because we're not just talking about believers. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a shape that's happening in the church. You ought to be shaping men and women in the church, for the church, for the community. But this is, this also speaks of how we're supposed to be uh, presented or understood in the world. This molding should take place in different settings. Of course, it takes place in teaching settings. I was I was at a, I was with a group of guys the other day uh, about a week or so ago, and we were sitting around a table. And at that table, we had different generations, and we had white folks and black folks, and we were just talking. But it was a group of men, and we were there to talk about something for the community. And the conversation shifted about being a father. Uh, and we all had something in common. We were all fathers. Raising daughters. And in that conversation, we just talk, we listen, we shared about what it's like to raise a daughter, what we have to look forward to, how we can make sure that we are, we are the first person that, that she, she loves and respects and dates, right? That she knows what it looks like to be a godly woman from how we treat her, her, their mother, that they know what it looked look, look like in a spouse or a boyfriend one day because of their relationship with us. We just started having that conversation. And that was a beautiful moment where we could just sit around the same table and talk. We're present with one another. Older saints, my, my, my older men and older women as Paul said, your lives ought to be well-worn paths for us to follow in. That we can look and see the route that you took and say, I can walk in that way. So you modeling that for us is great. But we also need you to come alongside us, put your hand around us and walk with us. See, that relational part is what we also need. Not just the sitting around of tables, which is great, but can we break bread together in each other's homes? As a, as a young man, I got I, my, my daughter was. Let me let me say a little bit about me, because this this also speaks to to something really important, right? Because some of you all have raised children, biological children, and they're they're out the house, and some of them may have gone the way you anticipated, and some of them may might not have. And some of you have raised spiritual children and some of them have gone the way that, that, that you saw God have for them and some of them haven't. Well, if that's the case, we need you to pray us through and to pray us back. We need that. We, that, we need your anchoring to, 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 to remind us that, 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 that we, that while we might have gone astray, God hasn't forsaken or given up on us. 
Now, so let me tell you a little bit about me, right? Because my mama sent me off to college to do her best, live, live, live the life that she grew, grew up in church and she wanted what, what all of God's best and his plan for my life. But me, I wanted to be in control of my life. So I started making decisions that I thought were best for me. And before I knew it, I got a call when I was 20 years old saying I'm going to be a father. Well, of course, that wasn't in my plans for my life. <laughs> you know, the next thing I had to do. I had to sit down with my mama. Can you imagine? Now, she took it in stride. Can you imagine how disappointed she was? Because this wasn't, this wasn't what she wanted for me. This wasn't, it wasn't what she saw for me. But you know what she did? She kept praying for me. She kept seeking God for me. Like she, she had already laid out a, a path for me to follow. She had already, she had already been faithful to God. So I knew what faithfulness to God looked like by looking at her life. So I had seeds planted in me that God would bring forth one day, but, but he had, he had put me on a leash and he had to let me get to the end of that rope before I could fully surrender my life to him. But I saw her. Speaking of, she just walked in. <laughs> I saw her washing dishes, praising God, crying out, singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Yo, I heard that. I, Cause she'd always do it. She sing over us and pray over us at night. So when I went astray, I believe that God heard her prayers and said, keep praying and wait. Keep praying and wait. Keep praying and wait. And eventually God did exactly what he promised he was going to do. We need you. We, as a younger generation, need you to model what this looks like lived out. We need you to teach and invite and sit us down at the table so we can see what this thing looks like walked out. And we need you to pray us, pray us through, pray us back. So not only do we need mature spiritual fathers and mothers, we also need, my brothers and sisters, devoted spiritual sons and daughters. I remember after being saved for a little while, I had it all figured out. I had all the answers. I had, I had any question you wanted to know, I had all the answers. I got married at 24 years old and I had a robust theology for marriage. So I could have walked you through the scripture and uh, I told you I got started early, a kid at 20 and life just kept going. But I could have walked you through the scriptures of what was expected of a husband and a wife in scripture. I could have 
taking you all the way back to Genesis 1, and we could have talked about God's creation design in Genesis 2 and how that's played out throughout scriptures. And I could have read all the New Testament scriptures about loving uh, husbands, how you are supposed to love your wives and why you're supposed to admit to your own husbands and how you all should honor one another and respect one another. I could have taken you through all of that. But what I didn't have was the knowledge of how to live that out in the day to day. See, I had knowledge, but I was lacking experience. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, just as it's important for the older generation to have relationships to be heard, it is also important that if we are going to learn, we have to bring humility to the table. We have to be willing to learn, willing to hear, willing to admit that we don't have all the answers. I think it's something vital in what Paul is saying to Titus. He says they are to teach what is good, speaking of the older women, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands. Why is that important? Because we're just doing trial and error if we don't have someone to direct us. And just be honest, it ain't working. Us doing it on our own, saying we don't need anybody, ain't working. We need the wisdom of those who have gone before us. Yes, we do need to be heard as a younger generation. But we need to spend more time listening. We need to spend more time submitting. We need to spend more time asking. That is incumbent upon us. Because there are some things that the faithful lives of the saints can teach us. If we're willing to hear what they have to say. Beloved, I see it all the time. Most of us don't really know how to live out this faith journey. Most of us don't know what it means to be a godly, faithful husband or wife, mother or or father in the day in and day out. And we see that lack of an example wreaking havoc on our lives and our communities every day. We have we have folks trying to love who ain't been loved. We have folks trying to give something, you know, Jesus says, that he talked, he's, he's looking at a crowd and he's talking to him. He's preaching about the Holy Spirit. He says, he says, if your sons were to ask of you a bre- bread, would you give them a stone? Or if they were to ask a, a fish, would you give them a serpent? Serpent. He says, okay, if you know being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father? The truth is, in some ways, we have given our children stones. And things that ain't worth nothing and things that only poison them. We have to reevaluate what we've been given because often we give what we receive. And it just perpetuates this cycle of I don't really have anything else to give you because I ain't got nothing. How can I love if I ain't been loved? But my brothers and sisters, 
when somebody wants to love you, we got to learn to let them love us. Because being in relationship ain't always being here, hearing what you want to hear is hearing the truth. It's, it's hearing the, some hard truth because we are people who have been set apart, called by God and placed into a family. And that means that, that, that we got. So that's this the beautiful thing about truth. It's the hard thing about truth, too, is that truth confronts lies. We, so there's a confrontation that's always taking place on the inside of us. And sometimes we need some help, right, to break through those lies. We also need, my brothers and sisters, we need to hear God's word. Jesus said that he wouldn't leave us as orphans, that he would send us the Holy Spirit. I grieve so much of my my brothers and sisters because they don't got nowhere to go. Like we're on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram trying to find some somebody to speak into our lives. Like does somebody understand what we're going through? Do they understand what it's like to be a black man or black woman trying to navigate this 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 territory we in? Trying to find out what it really means to live for God? To to figure out what it really means to to please God? To be faithful? To have a relationship with God that is more than just, oh yeah, I know him, but I go and do my own thing. We need guides. We need guides. So, Paul tells to Titus that he is to command or encourage the young men to be self-controlled. I thought about this for a long time, y'all. He says, he gives all this other list of instructions for older men and older women and young women. But he says to the young men, be self-controlled. The first thing he says to them and the first thing he says to the older man, why is that? Because the truth is, if we as men don't have any self-control, we will tear your stuff up. Straight up. We'll tear your house up. We'll tear your church up. We'll tear the community up. We'll tear the school up. Because we got so much passion and so much energy. And that energy ought to be directed towards something. But we're, but we're looking for, for meaning and purpose. And, and, and we don't have anybody to say, look, you were, you were born on purpose, for a purpose. And let me walk with you. Like, not just let me preach to you, but let me walk with you. Let me let me earn the right to be heard. Let me just show up in your life. Let me just show up in your school. Let me just show up in your community. Let me just be present because you need to know that you ain't alone. And I know you just it's okay. You're trying to figure it out. That's all right. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to keep showing up for you. Because we need to be directed in everything. Because just like we have the power to destroy, we have the power to build, to establish, to create both our young women and our young men. Think about all the amazing. We have such an entrepreneurial spirit that is just sweeping across our generation right now. 
Because we, we have a desire to see black folks build something. B- build churches and build homes and, and build communities and build society and build businesses. We have that desire. We shouldn't have to do that alone. I was, um, I was at, um, I was, I was outside this church this past week and there was this giant tree and all around this tree, I saw just dead fruit. Like I just been there for a long time, just dead fruit, just on top of each other, just had decayed. I was telling that to a friend and he said something interesting. He said, uh, like, man, yeah, the tree, the seed is in the fruit. So when the fruit falls to the ground and dies, it's supposed to go into the ground and produce more. But he he, show, he shared something with me that I didn't think about. He said, it's, it's not so much the tree, it's the soil. The soil couldn't receive what the, the tree was offering it. It couldn't receive the seed to bear more fruit. The roots were bad. The ground was bad. It needed to be tilled. That's why we need churches that are family equipping centers. That are out there putting their hands to the plow and not looking back. So, so there is room to receive those seeds so they can grow up and bear more fruit. But if we don't deal with the ground then the, the seeds, the fruit will keep dying. And we'll just keep going through the same thing over and over and over again. So church, Titus was being challenged by Paul in this. He says to him, but you are to proclaim. And then he comes and says, your message is to be sound beyond re- reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. The church ought to be that place that is a lighthouse, a beacon, a hub for the community that people can know in that place there's people I can go to to learn about this thing called life. Willie Richardson in his book Reclaiming the Urban Family says this, He offers a number of reasons why the church needs to be a family training center and how the church is uniquely equipped to to do this. He says, the church represents God in the world. God is the creator of marriage and family. Stop there. One, we have to remember our purpose as a church. We have to remember why we exist. We are not representing ourselves. We are representing God. In this world, God promised to build his church and to work through them. He is building a kingdom, right? A community of believers that have been set aside, who identify themselves with Jesus Christ because they tasted and seen that he is good. They behold the Lord Jesus. Their hearts have been changed. Their lives have been opened. And they've said yes and surrender to him. And so he is building his church. And he's the one who says how this thing is to be lived out, how life is to be lived out, how marriage is to be lived out, how family is to be lived out. So shouldn't we be the ones modeling that to the world? 
He also says the church has been commissioned to reach the world for Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said before he, in Matthew 28, before he was taken up into heaven? All power and authority has been given unto me, therefore go. Isn't that what he told us to do? He has given us the assignment to go out and share the gospel, not only in word, but in deed. People ought to see our actions before they hear our words. Before we start talking about Jesus, that, that young person needs to see us show up over and over again. They ought to see and say, ma'am, ma'am, you're different. Sir, you're different. What is it about you? I ain't never met nobody like you. What you got to make you different? I remember being a second grader. Lady named Miss Anderson would invite. Uh, I couldn't read in second grade. Second grade, couldn't read. Wasn't until a lady named Miss Anderson took me by the hand. She was my teacher and called me out. She was like, you can't read, boy. You know, I called me out because I was I was acting a fool in the class. So she called me out. You can't read, boy. And it ain't funny. I'm going to teach you, though. All right. So she, she just called me out. She said, I'm going to teach you, though. And she did. She invited us over to her home. She stayed late after school with us, and she demonstrated. She took us to church with her sometimes, and she demonstrated the love of Christ to me. She gave me an, a, a tremendous gift. She taught me to read. That's the love of Jesus on display in my life. I would have just been, if she, I don't know, I would fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, just going to pass along, can't read still. But she loved me enough to say, that's it's not okay. And I'm going to do something about it. You don't have a choice. That speaks to how the church has received God's agape love to dispense to others in need. That's what she did. She saw my need, and, and through God's grace, she helped me. The church is the embassy that houses Christ's ambassadors. I love my community. Pastor Wilder read just some of the things I've been blessed to do in the community. I love my community. I love God's church. But there is only one embassy. There's only one church. Now we have local churches that serve those local communities and disciple people locally. But if we spend our time focused on building our church and our kingdom, we'll find ourselves fighting over territory and people, things that don't belong to us. Now, I think God uses the local church. He absolutely does. I believe in his structure and his work through it. But we have to see ourselves as part of the church. And that we have one mission and that we are all ambassadors set aside by God with the message of reconciliation. That is important, beloved. Lastly, the church is involved with people from birth. We get a chance to walk with people from birth to the grave. There aren't any other institutions or places that get a chance to do that. So how much of an opportunity we have in every stage of someone's life to equip them, to prepare them, to do and be who God has called them to be? Because at every stage, you should be learning, and growing, and developing in your love for Jesus 
And then that person should in turn be teaching and sharing and replicating. We've, as a black church in general, have done tremendous things for our community. When black folk didn't have anywhere to go, they could come to the black church. When black boys and girls were told they weren't pretty or valuable, the black church told them otherwise and built programs and things for them to do and come to. When black kids didn't have money to go to school, black churches helped put them through school and give them scholarships. When black kids didn't have nowhere to go and play, black churches built gymnasiums and they built playgrounds and they kept them up to give folks somewhere to go. When black folk didn't have the skills or the education that they needed, black churches built schools. They built equipping centers to ensure that people had the skills they needed and the education they needed to be successful the best they could going through systemic issues in our nation. It is important. That is important. We ought to learn how to do that in our day and age right now to meet the needs that we have as a community. And we ought not forget our spiritual heritage that Marion Wright Edelman speaks about, that we can make a lot of progress uh, materialistically and be poor towards God. I'm not talking about being poor in spirit. I'm talking about being poor in the things of God. And the church ought to be equipping us to live for God in the world with the social, emotional, uh, uh, political, academic skills that we need but with the spiritual rooting of knowing and having a nourishing, thriving relationship with Jesus. We ought to be able to do both. And we ought to learn how to do both together. Y'all catch that? Together. We need each other. Young folk, we got a bunch of theory. I got a bunch of theory. I, I read a good bit. I got a bunch of theory. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Some of my older men and women, y'all have a bunch of experience. We ought to be, we don't have it all figured out. We don't know exactly what to do or the perfect recipe to reach folks and to make sure that our, we have thriving communities. We're, we're trying a lot of things. We're, we're putting our hands to the plow. We're out here working. We're actually out here doing it. We're praying for it. But we ought to come together and learn from one another. Because I believe God has given us what we need with and through each other to accomplish these things. Lastly, we as the church ought to be able to move the barriers out of the way that exist for people advancing in society. We got a lot of systemic issues. We got, we, we got some systems that have been in place for a while that haven't necessarily served us well, right? And so we have this systemic issue of low education rates among our, especially among our black boys. I do a lot of work with our black boys and have a very heart and passion for them. We got some systemic issues nationally and locally. We also have some criminal justice issues that exist with the mass incarceration. Right? We have some very big things that we have to help navigate through. But the church ought to be advocating for the dignity of all people. That we are created and shaped and made in God's image. And that we cannot throw away those who are made in God. 
Dr. Eric Mason says this, that out of robust family ministry comes a community of spiritual mothers and fathers. The goal in all this is discipleship so that we can replicate. We ought to be able to produce more and more and more and more. But beloved, this is not a short-term thing. This is a long-term commitment. We ought to be asking ourselves the question, what is God calling us to do now? And what does that look like with the fruit of 20 years? I know we want to see and experience a lot now, but we didn't get here overnight and we ain't necessarily going to get out of this overnight. And that's okay, because God is with us. God is for us. He has gone before us. He is working in us through his spirit, through his son, Jesus. I'll read this to you. Paul closes chapter two with this. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Beloved, that's good news. That's real good news. Because this is God's work that he's invited us into. And we're laboring in his grace, and we ought to keep laboring until he comes back. We don't set the finish line. He does. And so until he comes back, let us be about his work. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your truth and your word and your work and what you're doing. I thank you, Father God, how you have grown so many men and women, Lord, in here and all across this community to love you and to be mature and to walk in your way. I thank you, Father God, for those who may have been encouraged, Lord, and and said, I made a bunch of mistakes, but, but you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to repent, ask for forgiveness, Ask for your grace and move on, being everything that you called us to do, Lord. And as a young man, Lord, I know I've made mistakes. I know my heart has been haughty, and Lord, and at times, Lord, I wanted to hear or receive. I pray for forgiveness, Lord. I pray that my young men and young women in here, they would see where they, there may have been someone in their lives, but because something came away they didn't like, they may have rejected it. I pray, God, that you would give us humble spirits to receive and hear from you and from each other. And God, that you would raise up your church, your body, your bride, Father God, to be about your work, to build your kingdom, God. Because we know there is coming a day where you will come back to judge the living and the dead. And that all will have to stand before you on that day, giving account for what they've done in the body, whether good or bad. But God, until that day, which we look forward to, God, we will press on towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, knowing that we have not quite obtained it for ourselves or for what you're doing, God, we'll keep going. God, we love you, we bless you, we praise you, and we thank you. In your son's name, we glorify you.